Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today we have a great guest, S. Connolly. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. And um, how do I pronounce that word again? Demonolatry. Demonolatry. Yeah, some people say demonolatry, but I prefer demonolatry. Awesome. Uh, So what exactly is it? So basically what it is, is basically demonolatry means literally um, demon worship. And a lot of people at that point kind of freak out and go, oh my goodness, <laughs> you're actually worshiping something. <laughs> and of course, when you think of worshiping, you think of people groveling on the ground and, you know, bowing down. And that's not it at all. It's more of a, a respectful working with divine intelligence. Because we take the word demon back to its roots. Um, before Christians, the Christians co-opted the word and turned it into a catch-all that is synonymous with the devil. Um, We basically, uh, the word before that meant divine intelligence or replete with wisdom. So it was like, for some people, it may have been like an inner muse. For others, it may have been, um, it's like, you know, the gods speaking to them, a divine, divine intelligence, divine knowledge that you can tap. So basically, um, demon worship is basically the respect and holding in high regard the divine intelligence is what that actually means. Okay. Um, is this any way related to um, things like the greater key and lesser key of Solomon? Yes, um, it, it is in the sense that we do practice magic. A lot of demonolators are consider themselves goetic demonolators because they specifically work with the spirits of the Goetia. Um, and, and they'll go with other hierarchies too, uh, depending mm-hmm. on their, on their preference. Um, and we kind of label like there's different types of demons, like demons come in, in different flavors, so to speak, if we want to use some, you know, uh, layman's terms there. There are, uh, like your goetic spirits are basically closer to jinn. They're closer to the earth sphere. Um, And then you go up and you may have like different God forms from various pagan religions. You go further up, you may have angelic forms or planetary spirits as Mm -hmm. you go up those spheres. So there is a whole Western magical current that runs through all of demonolatry. Okay, so like the goetic spirits would be like lower spirits and then... Like, I guess pagans would be like, like things like Pan and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They, they would go maybe a little h- higher on the spheres. Right. And then higher up like that. I don't know. What would that be like? Like Mars or something? Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like planetary energies or spirits. Yeah. And, and, and it would depend, too. I mean, it depends on a personal, personal pantheon. Because a lot of this, you have to remember, like a lot of this, especially when you're, you, you're talking about magic, it's very mm-hmm. subjective. Even when we get into the 300-year-old stuff, and I, I get a lot of flack for saying this all the time, but the reality is, is everyone in the occult community especially likes to throw out the phrase unverified personal gnosis. Well, the thing is, is you can 
probably take just about any magical working, you could just make one up and you could pass it out to 50 people and you are going to get verification of that from some of those people if they know how, how to work it and make it work for them. You see what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Yeah. So, so technically everything that is unverified personal analysis is a verified personal analysis. And if we go back to all of these books that were written, you know, 200, 500, 600, 800 years ago, somebody was the first person to write that down and it was somebody else's unverified personal analysis. Why we give it more validity now that it's 800 years old right. is anyone's guess. Interesting. You know, I, I've talked to some other occultists, um, like, like Lon Milo Duquette and, and a few others. And they also say like a similar thing that, that you just said though. Uh, and basically like, uh, you know, you, you start out with a foundation of, of what other people have done, but eventually you have to kind of grow off and, and make something your own. You have to own your own magic yes. in order Absolutely. for it to really become effective. I guess yes. would be the word that, and that is absolutely true. Um, you end up knowing what works for you because I think magic in a lot of senses is a series of, in a way, psychological exercise and self work. Because I mean, I think we all start, you know, well, many people start when they're starting magic, they start wanting the one off, you know, like, Oh, I need $5,000 and, you know, I'm going to raise a demon and make a pact or whatever. And, and this demon's going to give me these things. But what we don't realize about divine intelligence is it likes to teach lessons and likes to make us face our fears. Mm. So along with the process of magic, anyone who actually sticks with it and doesn't just dabble and then jump out, jump uh -huh. out of the pool and go, yeah, that's a little deep for me. Um, it actually takes you like on this path working journey where you end up having to explore your psychology and all of your fears and the things holding you back from meeting your own potential and doing your own great work mm -hmm. um, that you end up in, the, in this position where you have no choice but to make it your own. You have to you have to figure out what it is you need to learn to progress, to move forward. And that's not going to be the same as everybody else's. Right. So, so would, would you say that, that, that sometimes during these practice, you know, in, you know, you know, practicing magic and, and trying to make those connections um, that you're going to find yourself in a position where your back is up against the wall and you have no other choice, but to do that, to make it your own and, 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 actually kind of create your own way out. Yes, I think so. I think a lot of people, they'll start something and then they'll stop in the middle of it and realize they can't, that they have to, they have no choice but to actually like push through. Um, and, and of course, a lot of us in, in the occult call that like uh, traveling through Da'at. Um, and that's, that's like, you know, the great abyss, like actually mm -hmm. moving through the great abyss to get to the other side. Um, and I, I think you do. I think you can get in too, so deep that you have no choice but to find a way out. Um, it depends on, on the person, though, too, and how, they, uh -huh. how they're, if they're able to get themselves out of it. 
Yeah, that was going to be like my next question. Like, what happens to a person who starts it and then they don't have the, the will or the energy to, to completely follow through? You know, uh, people like that just tend to, for the most part, I found that they, they tend to move to other spiritual systems at that point, something lighter, a bit safer. Uh -huh. um, in hopes that they can find their way out of what they started. And a lot of them eventually do. But I've known a few who've gone to some very dark places, um, drug abuse, uh, being homeless, um, mental uh, difficulties and disorders that they ended up getting treatment for so they could manage it. Um, cause, because I think magic can essentially... Um, affect the physical body. It can affect chemical imbalances. Uh, it can cause the urges to, if you, you have an addictive personality, it can, it can give you the urge to continue on with an, an addiction you've previously beat or thought you beat. Um, so it's, it's very, that's why it's very important that people, before they get into the really deep stuff, there's a, there's a lot of like beginner things that, that different traditions will impose upon people and say, you need to do these things um, regularly, like banishing and cleansing. A lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of traditions say banishing and cleansing, very important all the time. And the reason they do that is because a lot of beginners have the potential to fall down a particular rabbit hole and have bad experiences, especially when you're working with demons, because you're also then working with a psychological construct where you've been raised in this culture where demons are this evil, horrible, malevolent thing. And they're, they're out to destroy you. And like if, if a demon um, throws a fear at you and says, okay, you need to face this fear in order to move forward. It, that's, that may not bode well with some people. And you'll find some people actually running back to Christianity um, for safety uh-huh after having an experience like that yeah i definitely see that happening um do, do you think um like, like before people start working with demons that she they um like i know in some traditions they suggest that you get in touch with your higher self or your guardian angel before practicing any further um mm -hmm. but you know, like this stuff that's like in the book of abramel and stuff like that um is that a recommended thing to do before a person starts working with uh, demons? Generally, we we tell people to uh, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of meditation. There is a lot of uh, it's not so much self work. It's energy work and meditation and self reflection. I would say, and I guess I suppose that that could be considered self work in its own right. Um, but we also uh, insist that people work within what we call a balanced ritual space um, to kind of keep them, to keep their, their energy balanced and to keep themselves balanced in the most possible way. And we, we like really pound in that elemental circle. You'd be amazing, amazed though, how many people just want to throw that, throw that caution to the wind and go, yeah, I don't need that. And some <laughs> people don't. Some people actually do have the mental fortitude to jump right into magic you know, and, you know, throw caution to the wind and they're able to get in there, get, get the work done and come out of it unscathed. There are other people though, 
that are very, um, I don't know, empathetic maybe mm -hmm. to where they feel everything so deeply and so acutely that even the slightest thing can throw them into a downward spiral. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can imagine that would especially be true with people that are wrestling with like addiction and mental illness or, you know, codependency issues. And, yeah. Traumatic religious upbringing. Yeah. That spiritual too. abuse. There's a lot of spiritual abuse in certain, certain religious paradigms, especially when you get into some of the charismatic Christianity sects. Oh, yeah. All you got to do is move down here where I live. You'll see a lot of that. Oh, right. Yeah. I bet. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had an aunt who was into like the 700 club and all of that kind of crazy stuff. And oh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it's, it's actually really depressing. I had a, a, a job where um, it was it was a job at a rehab. And uh, but my part of the job was to take these guys to church on Sunday. So I had to sit through these really these church services a couple times a day on Sunday. And uh, it, it, like I grew up Catholic where it's very ritualized and, and there's a hierarchy and there's order to it. And then I started taking these guys to these churches where, you know, I don't know what they're talking about. They're, they're, they're cut and pasting Old Testament with New Testament and then mixing it in with some kind of crazy political agenda. Right. It's like, oof, <laughs> this <Yeah>. is terrible. <laughs> It's, 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 it's crazy. Or the prosperity preachers. That's another thing, you know, that if you've been, if God looks upon you favorably, then, then of course you'll be well to do, you know, or you won't be hurting for money. And it's like, well, that's kind of a really bad message for people who've been struggling all their lives. Yeah. So. yeah. Or, 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 or like, I think it also puts people, gives the idea that people need money in order to be happy when maybe they don't. Yes. You know, maybe, you know, I, I would like to think that there's a whole lot more to life than just money. Oh, absolutely. Well, and that's one of the things, that's one of the things that, that um, a lot of demonolators find once they, once they begin working with the demonic. I mean, you start, like, you start with wanting very basic things, very creature comforts, you know, very physical, tangible things. And as you progress and as you mature as a magician, I think, you start to realize there's, other things it's like okay so you want to go far in your career but why do people want to really go far in their career so they have more um quality time with their family and so they can afford different luxuries for their family or for their family to just be comfortable you know to be able to not have to worry about money so right. it's not even like they really want to be rich they you know when you come right down to it i mean any magician who explores what their ideal life looks like, it often doesn't include limousines and bright lights and, you know, some sort of rich lifestyle. It's just, it often comes down to having time for the people and things we care about and not having to worry about money. Yeah, like food, shelter, and love. Mm-hmm, exactly. Not, not, not a Mercedes. <laughs> Um, so with the, uh, the, the demons that people work with, and, and I know this is also true with angel, with angelic work too. Um, I hear different perspectives on it. Uh, one is that they're external and they're external only. Uh, I've heard, you know, other people say that they're just internal psychological energies. And then there's people sort of 
take the middle way and say, okay, it's both. I, uh, which I believe one do you think it is? I believe it's both. Because I think, uh, because in demonology, we often say there's, there's the demonic within and the demonic without. So in a lot of senses, um, the divine intelligence, they're basically different forces of nature or different forces of emotion or different forces of, of uh, or I don't know, an embodiment of an idea or, or a concept. And I think you find those within yourself too. And if you look at it like scientifically, like all of the elements of our creation are part of us. Um, Carl Sagan famously said, we are made of star stuff. And so we kind of have that perspective about it is we're all part of the divine intelligence and yet we can maybe communicate or tap it externally, but you can also tap it internally. Yeah. And a yep. lot of people will say like, especially demons, like are, are like parts of the self that must be contained. And that's what, where you get, I think a lot of the ceremonial magic. When I was younger, I like, I raged against this so bad, but now that I'm older, I kind of understand it better. Um, <laughs> is, is the demonic is parts of the psyche that must be reined in under your control in order to be able to manifest your will. Uh huh. So, and I think that there could be some truth to that too. I mean, if, if that's how you view it personally, I mean, some people do need to kind of give themselves an ass kicking in order to get themselves to, you know, fly right, and uh -huh. <laughs> do the right thing, make, make good decisions. So, um, yeah. How about, how about the, like the other direction, you know, like, um, like just like letting your desires just run wild for a while until they just reach a point where they're no longer controlling you. You know, I have, I have heard of that technique. I know people who do use that technique where they believe it, it, that indulgence leads to a better control. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I've never been one of those people who's particularly, um, overtly sexual or anything like that. So I've never really delved deeply into sex magic or anything like that. Um, I do think there could be some danger if you're indulging in certain things, like maybe um, if you decided, you know, you're going to delve into gluttony, that may not be such a good thing for your blood pressure and your weight and um, diabetes, all that kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um but sexually, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, especially for people who are, who were raised in a very sexually uh, repressed environment. I think that might actually be a good thing for them to kind of indulge in that, indulge in those sorts of things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I agree. And I think like even my own personal experience, like um, I, I think as, as a young child, you know, I felt repressed. And then as an adult, you know, I could do whatever I want. Yeah. And, and I was able to experiment and, mm -hmm. and, and be free and find out, you know, what I liked and what I didn't like. And, uh, you know, and, and in some cases take things into an excess where, you know, I've like come, come so excess, excessive where it's like, oh, this is starting to become painful now. <laughs> You know? Right. And then you're just going, and, okay, well, I've, I've been there, done that. And now I can step back. I've experienced it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like and then that, that desire automatically sort of 
curves itself because I, I took it so to such a point where it was painful that I really don't want to go back that far again anyway. Right. Yeah, and I think I think yeah, I think uh, I do think the demonic does give people permission to indulge in forbidden practices or experiences. And there's nothing wrong with that, I think. I think that's, that's actually very healing for a lot of people. Um, but again, I think, I think also it's, you know, again, it's based on individual need. And there are some people out there who actually feel like um, they're actually having sex with the, the demonic mm-hmm. and they indulge in sex with demons. And I think if that, you know, makes them feel better and it's not um, keeping them from having healthy relationships with human partners right then that's probably okay but there is a point where i kind of worry about that because i think some people take it a little far and start using it as a replacement for human companionship and i Uh think that can be that can become very unhealthy right yeah i i I could see that that becoming just sort of obsessive and really convenient actually Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's great fantasy. I mean, who doesn't like to indulge in a fantasy like that? You know, hot, sexy demon, otherworldly lover, or a lot of people have uh, God fantasies, you know, like they're, they're married to Loki or whatever. Uh And I think as far as a fantasy, as long as you just remember, it's a fantasy, that's probably fine. It's when you take it to, I mean, I guess, you know, as long as it's not hurting anybody, that's fine too. But then I worry, is it hurting the psyche of the person having the fantasy if they're using it to replace actual yeah. healthy relationships? Um, how about things like, uh, like I know, like, like I've had a couple of cultists, you know, laugh when I've asked this question. Um, like satanic orgies, you know, like, like I remember as a kid, I think it was, I don't know what movie it was, but but there's a, a movie where Anton LaVey is like you know, the head of this massive orgy. And I'm really thinking like, that was the coolest thing I ever saw. And I was like, I want to do that when I grow up. (laughs) Right. And you know, the thing of it is, is I actually do know groups that do practice um, group sex during their rituals. Uh, And more power to them. I I think, you know, some of them enjoy it. And, you know, people kind of fall out of those, you know, they get bored or whatever, and they kind of move on. So there's constantly like a, a rolling membership through groups like that generally. But yeah. um, I've never personally been part of one of those groups personally, hmm. but I mean, yeah, they do happen, but they tend to happen actually more in atheistic or theistic Satanist type groups. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen that too. Like Even like, like this Satanism is more, atheism than it is satanism yeah i mean unless you unless you get into like the theistic groups where they actually believe in the they actually do follow the christian mythology and unfortunately a lot of christian hell mythology is from bible fan fiction like you know paradise lost and dante's inferno Mm -hmm. but they they really do get into that and that's kind of their thing so but again more more power to them i guess if that if it works for them I just, I think most people just kind of grow out of that though. If they continue on with a serious study of the occult. Yeah. Because it's kind of like, you can't just study one area and not be exposed to, you know, 
uh, Thelema or, you know, Golden Dawn or Kuala, mm-hmm. or you can't, it's like all of it. If you look at it, if you look at all the, all of the Western occult religions, they all have the same, that same foundational undercurrent. Right. Yeah. I recently interviewed uh, a guy who's the head of the, uh, the Gnostic church of LVX and, you know, and he's very in, much into Thelema. And, um, you know, he was talking about basically same thing that you just said. Like, like he won't even consider people into his church until they're, like, really ready, you know? People that, that sort of grow out of that wild, crazy part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you're doing something serious, like, and you are doing maybe a serious sex magic, right? You know, you don't want people who are there just because they think they're, they're going to get some because you want yeah. them to have their mind on focused on the intent of the ritual. And that's kind of hard to do when your mind is someplace else. Yeah. If you're just focused on self pleasure rather than the actual intent, I guess things can get kind of twisted. Yes, absolutely. And of course it can cause a lot of drama in a group too. One thing about group Group, <laughs> groups in general, there's just there can be so much drama if you're not careful. Yeah, drama sucks. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the older you get, like the less tolerance you have for it. You're just like, no, I'm finished. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, like, so, so with the, uh, I'm not going to pronounce the word, but what, what, is it is it a religion? Or is it magic or is it both? So I, I think it, there, is, there is a part of the demonolatry community where they are, they are just spiritual. And I say that because at most they'll do some meditations and they'll, they seem to like to pelt the demonic with offerings, which is not really my paradigm. That's not the demonolatry I grew up with. Um, but... So they are more of like a spiritual because I mean their idea of magic is just you know going in throwing offerings at the at the demonic and saying okay so here's payment here's what I want and or they'll do pacts or whatever and it's kind of like that's that's their thing and they don't really go down the whole demonolatry magician path which is like a totally different thing which I think combines the spiritual with the magical and because divine intelligence is about is about basically educating you about yourself in a lot of ways it is definitely magic it's there's high magic in there absolutely um low magic is usually where you know that's usually what draws people in mm-hmm. but it i think the number of demon, actual demonolatry magicians is maybe a little bit lower. And I'm, okay. I'm, I'm a demonolatry magician. I do believe in practicing magic in the scope of my spiritual practices. Hey, where does your tradition originate from? Is it like, did it like start like in like Santeria origins or like where did it come from? Actually, you know, as far as we can tell, I mean, as far as like the actual physical record that we have, we're talking 60s, 70s, and, and it allegedly goes back further. 
I, of course, do not have any written evidence of this, but uh, it, it kind of follows along the lines of traditional craft, but in the sense of spirits, spirits being implemented and incorporated. So it's more of, I, I mean, because you can see a lot of parallels with, you know, old, tr older traditional witchcraft. You can see a lot of parallels, but you also see a lot of parallels with, um, with different types of paganism yes. as well. So I, I think, and I think the reason it was actually called demonolatry is because a lot of the, the spirits that people were working with had been labeled demons by the Christians. And they're like, well, you know, but demons are really divine intelligences. So why don't we just take this back as the name of our spiritual practice? Mm -hmm. So um, because there have been, there have been families who claim that their families have been practicing uh, demonolatry for at least a hundred years or more. And they have, you know, journals and such with different recipes, you know, uh, like a incense for agaris, you know, or an incense for ball. Um, but it's, but then the question is, are they really witchcraft or are they really, you know what I'm saying? Are they pagan? Yeah. Was it a pagan thing? So I think in a way it is kind of a, like a paganism, traditional craft that kind of somehow merged with the ceremonial magic. So I do believe it's probably as far as like the state of it currently, it is kind of taken on like its own morphed into like its own thing. That's a combination of things. But I think originally it may have started more as a traditional craft pagany type thing, folk magic. Uh -huh. So oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, I was doing an interview last night um, with somebody who on, on hoodoo and mm -hmm. And it was very similar, you know, it was like, well, you know, we, we, you had like this Catholic thing going on, a Protestant thing in the South, and you had people coming from Africa, and, you know, it just all sort of got put together, and that's what they came out with. Right. And, it, and for some reason, like, these things will get popular, kind of like the use of war water in, like, you know, uh, Wicca, for example. It's just because there were so many uh, botanicas around, you know, with the, that had the war water and the Wiccans would be like, oh, this is kind of magic-y. And they'd go in and go, oh, war water. And they'd grab some of that. And then it started getting used in witchcraft. And so I think, I, I do think, yeah, there is like a cultural melding of things. And I think you see it a lot in certain types of self-styled ceremonial magic too. Because I've seen people who do who consider themselves ceremonial magicians, but will use like, uh, like candle magic, like different color candles during right. their rituals. And I was like, well, that's interesting, you know, but you know, I mean, that's like technique versus, you know, uh, I suppose, um, paradigm, but it's the same concept. Yeah, I, I, I can get that. Cause I'm it, really, cause really like all these traditions are common, you know, have been even like ceremonial magic. It's like it's a combination of different texts, and mm -hmm. a lot of them came out at different times. You know, yes. um, like you know, like the Greater Key, Lesser Key of Solomon, the Three Books of Occult Philosophy, um, Transcendental Magic. You know, and all that sort of. You know, and then later on, like Crowley's work. So 
you know, everybody draws from these different places. Right. And I think you were right earlier, how you were saying like, you know, one path builds from another and everything, how, how different uh, traditions build off of each other and maybe go in their own direction. Are you saying that earlier? That's, yeah. I think that's very, that, I think that's, that's pretty much it. I think magic itself is a human tradition. I mean, regardless the technique or the paradigm or the specific beliefs behind it, magic itself is a very human tradition because you can find magical practices in every culture across the world. Absolutely. Like, yeah, like, like even like the, the, the Chinese, the Hindus, Native American shamans, South American shamans, it's always been around. Absolutely. And, I mean, there's and, even, even people who like incorporate, you know, um, Egyptian practices and deities into demonolatry because they're divine intelligences too. Mm-hmm. So, I think demonolatry is basically it's a very broad term because it includes a lot of people who are who are more pagan or more witches or more ceremonial magicians or you know what I'm saying. So, yeah. so even in demonolatry, there, there's like their their these own their own little denominations of people. It's just that they all seem to be able to get along on a broader scale. I think it's very interesting. It is, and I, and I think just probably maybe what what. It, it's the name probably that, that messes people up. Cause I know people would probably hear that term and automatically assume like uh, you're worshiping the devil and sacrificing babies and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> which, exactly. which I guess, you know, I mean, it's a good thing cause it keeps people who are not open away from that tradition. <laughs> yes, that's true. And some people, you know, the word demonolatry is too big. So they're just like, I'm not even bothering so we don't get a lot of like Christian flack or anything like that. Whereas if you called yourself a Satanist, I mean, the Christians are knocking on your door going, Hey, what, what's up with this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in some places, even if you're just spiritual, the Christians come knocking on your door. Oh, that's true. <laughs> like, like where I'm at. <laughs> um, is it dangerous? Are there any, deities that you have found to be dangerous? Now, I have found that there are, there are a couple of dangers generally. Now, the first danger is an inexperienced magician creating a thought form or a servitor subconsciously that feeds off of their negative emotions or, or any psychic disturbances and will cause discord and like think, a negative thought form right exactly so yeah like some people create that for themselves and so they think they're actually communing with the divine intelligence but this thing is telling them you know it's lying to them it's telling them that and i think these this this type of a creature is either thought forms or just negative energy feeders in general mm-hmm are the types of creatures when Christians say devils and other cultures say devils, like these are malevolent spirits, that's what they're talking about. As they're talking about these negative thought forms um, or these negative energy feeders that attach to people who have a lot of psychic turbulence naturally. Because there are some people, let's face it, they're a little bit more histrionic than others. Yes. Um, and they, they definitely 
bring a lot of drama into their lives. And so if you ever notice, those are always the people who are possessed, who always feel like they're cursed, who always have like spirits after them. Those are the type, and those people some almost often create their own, create their own negative thought forms. So I think those are dangerous. Um, and I do think that like regular banishings, exorcisms and that sort of thing can help people like that. Okay. Um, but I think when it comes to, when it comes to actual divine intelligence, I like to use, use the analogy of um, a mountain lion is a mountain lion. If a mountain lion uh, is coming down the trail, sees a three-year-old by itself and eats that child, then the parents of that child are going to think that mountain lion is evil. But the fact is, is that the mountain lion is just doing what the mountain lion is doing. There's no emotion or intent behind what that mountain lion is actually doing. It's just looking for its next meal. Right, it's I just think, food. Right. And, and I think with the spirit world, a lot of that is kind of similar. It's like the demonic is just doing what it's doing. It's up to it's up to us individually. We're the ones who perceive it as a good thing or a bad thing and who, who put it into those neat little tidy black and white boxes of good and evil. Um, whereas the demonolator's view is like everything's a shade of gray. Even good things can have a bad effect and vice versa. So we're not like, you know, all magic can harm. I don't care how good it is for somebody else. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. I mean, there's a potential for that there. If you find a hundred dollars on the on the street, you're like, "Ooh, it's my lucky day." That's and you did a spell the night before to say, "Oh, I need a hundred dollars," and you find a hundred dollars on the ground. It is your lucky day. Your magic worked, and it was it was good magic, right? Yeah. But somebody else lost that hundred dollars. Uh huh. And they're having a really bad day. Right. So, I mean, it, it is perspective. It's all perspective. So, for example. If you are working with a demonic force for something, I had a friend who was, um, he was struggling with alcoholism and decided to do a ritual drunk. And he said he walked into the circle, mouthed off to this demon. The next thing he said, he felt um, like a palm in the center of his chest, knocked him flat on his back, like his feet went right out from underneath him fell down on his back, knocked the wind out of him, and it scared him so bad that he went, he got up the next day and literally went and enrolled in a treatment program. And he has been alcohol-free ever since. And that was about 10 years ago. <laughs> the demon kicked his ass into being sober. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. So, I mean, I hear stories like this, and it's like, so people can have horrifying experiences. It's just whether or not they understand the lesson behind them because in my from my experience because i've been i've been working with demons for like over 35 years now in my experience everything they do is to teach you a lesson to teach you something about yourself so if you have a negative experience with a demon or even a terrifying experience that was meant to teach you something and if you you either get it or you don't mm -hmm. and the people who don't generally like okay, I'm not messing with that anymore. And then they move on. <laughs> but other people are like, oh, okay. So yeah, I lost everything. I lost my house. I lost all this other stuff. But you know what? 
here I am five years later and I've got like a better job. I've got a better place to live. I'm much happier. And I can't realize, I, I can't even begin to tell you how much more miserable I was back then. And I asked for that change, but it required losing all of those things to make that change. Right. That's happened to me more than once. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, oh. and that's it. Cause sometimes, you know, great change for the better doesn't come without destroying everything that already is. Yeah. You got to get rid of all the old garbage to make room for something new. Mm -hmm. And it seems like to me, there's two points that you've made really clear. And, and one is, um, I think all legitimate spiritual paths look at life as like a school in a place for learning. And that's why we, we, we experiment and do these things. And also, like you said, like we were talking about before I started recording, I said like from what I read, read into your book was um, that, that the practice, your practice is very balanced. Um, yes. It almost seems like, like, like for me, like as an outsider, it looks like a sort of like a, a balance between um, surgery and, and Wicca. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Like a very, like you have that, you have that spiritual aspect, but it's not an unrealistic. It's not sky mommies and daddies spiritual aspect, but you also have that aspect of, um, you are, you are in control of your own destiny. You have to, and I say this a lot in my books and some people actually hate it because I, I tell them there's a follow through to magic. You can't just, you know, say, okay, well, you know, I want this great career in this particular industry and just kind of throw it out on the table and then walk away and sit on your butt and not do anything. Uh -huh. You actually still have to be actively, you know, learning new skills, uh, looking for opportunities, taking opportunities when they present themselves to you, recognizing opportunities for what they are. You still have to be doing those things because oftentimes when a, when a demon intervenes and, and helps you find something, they're throwing opportunities at you. And I could tell you um, an interesting story recently because um, I'm a novelist. I, I write fiction um, as my primary career. And I was working, I was hoping to, uh, you know, increase book sales and everything and become more well-known as an author and everything. And so I decided I was going to do some work with Sorath, the Black Sun, you know, uh, burned you in the spotlight, which is very true. And I was like, oh, well, you know, we'll just do this and, and see what comes of it, see what happens. And all of a sudden I started getting all of these speaking engagements thrown at me. Well, guess what I am the worst, the worst at, like in the entire world at the time anyway, I was the worst public speaker. I couldn't even tell you, like getting in front of a group of people was just mortifying for me. Um, I had had experiences in the past where I'd gotten up in front of a group of people and actually froze up. That's right. how, how crippling it was. And so I'm getting all of these opportunities for speaking engagements and I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> I think they're trying to tell me something that if I want <laughs> to take my career to the next level, I need to learn how to speak in front of people. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I started saying yes to all these speaking engagements and practicing and practicing and practicing. And one thing I noticed is little by little, I got better. Now, 
now here we are, like, you know, I, I think, I don't know, maybe five years later, three or five years later, I am a much better public speaker. I'm not perfect, but I actually, it's like the final opportunity was I had to get up and speak in front of a room full of 300 people. <laughs> and I mean, that was like my big, you know, like only right. a few years back, <clears throat> that would have been my biggest nightmare. And I actually pulled it off and I was like, you know, that wasn't so bad. So, because you don't think of that, you don't think like, oh, I'm, I want to be a, a much better well-known author. You don't, you don't necessarily think of speaking as something that you would have to have as a skill or I wouldn't anyway. I didn't uh -huh. really think that, you know, I, I didn't think it through clearly. <laughs> um, but it's just things like that that people don't realize it's it's those little things that get thrown at you right. that that you you end up it's like oh i'm getting all these opportunities but there are opportunities for this weird thing over here and it's like yeah but did you, did you ever think that the weird thing over here actually somehow relates to the thing that you actually want <laughs> i identify with that so much because i know i i had written a book on on uh on like Zen Buddhism and meditation. And then afterwards, like people are like, Oh, well, well, why don't you do like a reading or speak in front of people? And I'm like, well, no, man, I just wanted to write a book. Right? <laughs> I don't want to stand in front of people and talk. So, so yeah, there's like those unexpected challenges that, 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 that come. Um, and also like what you mentioned too, just makes me think of, um, I mean, I guess some people would consider this like an old magical formula in a way, but, but like, like first you have a thought of something and then you actually say it, then you put the action and work into it and then you have it manifested. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Well, and you know, I mean, even the ancient Egyptians had that kind of thinking too. That's why writing was so sacred and why they had an entire God dedicated to the written word was because once you, once you utter the words, first of all, you're starting to manifest it. Once you write it down, it becomes more concrete. Once you follow through with it, it becomes a plan and action to the, that kind of leads to that final manifestation that, you know, it actually appears. Yes. So, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it amazes me sometimes how, like, like this goes all the way back to ancient Egypt, and yet it's something that like modern modern psychology is just starting to figure out. Yes, well, there's there's a lot of things. I mean, if you've read, um, oh, what is it? The, there was a book, Lost Wisdom of the Pharaohs, by freaking Gandhi, and if you read some of it and you look at modern science, it all just kind of lines up and it's just really, it's kind of crazy, you know, in the translation. I mean, I guess, you know, translation has, has some subjectivity to it, but yeah, you know, when you, when you look at some of the writings about the, you know, uh, astronomical stuff and you kind of look at uh, what we know, uh, astro, uh, not astrologically, but um, astronomy wise, uh, about like, you know, the world and the universe and all of that, it just kind of lines up and it's kind of, it's just interesting. It, it is absolutely fascinating how they, 
how they came to some of the same conclusions that we're coming to again. It's like, like you know, it, yeah. it circled around. It's like they, they had figured these things out. It got forgotten. And now through scientific methods, we're starting to figure some of these things out. Um, mm-hmm. Do you ever do any um, reading like on, on stuff about quantum physics and stuff like that and find uh, relations between you know, the quantum physics theories and magic? Yes. Yes, I've actually, um, what was that book? The Field? I can't remember the author. That was, that was kind of interesting. There, there have been quite a few books that um, I've looked into and it's like, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing because it, it does kind of seem to meld with the idea uh, with the different, uh, different magical precepts, especially if you're looking you know, at like hermeticism and that sort of thing. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like one of the things that, that I think um, really hits with me is the idea that our, our, we're creating the reality with our mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and without us observing it, then there's really no reality. But also through, you know, concentrating intention through our mind, we can change the reality. Right. That's exactly it. Because and that's what magic is. Too. Yeah. Right. Because once you change your perception, you change your entire reality. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, I also I also thought found uh, interesting... Oh, and why can't now? I'm just, author's names are, are mis, uh, escaping me today, and I'm not sure why. There was that one scientist who did the um, studies about um, water, and a lot of people were kind of like, oh, is that true or whatever? But if you give, if you give like a drop of water different emotions or whatever, <clears throat> it like changes the molecular, con- uh, molecular structure of it. Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I, I found that fascinating too, because too. then it, you know, it's kind of like, oh, well, so if you run around with a, a negative attitude all the time, you're going to be sicker. You're not going to feel as well because I mean, our bodies uh, like so much water, like what, 70% or something, 80%. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like uh, your attitude really does affect your success in life. And not only that, but how your magic is going to manifest. Yes. So, so um, this brings me back to like that, the balanced idea. Um, like, like people who try to f- just focus on nothing but fighting off the negative rather than accepting it and working with it. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you think that's like, like a futile approach it could just causes a person like more headaches than healing no i think you do have to face you do have to face the negative things and you do have to accept them but you also have to say okay so this negative thing happened how am i going to change it Mm -hmm. what am i what am i going to do what can i do right now to change the situation if i can't change the situation how can i live with it because you can't just ignore it You know, like, I mean, for example, let's say somebody you really, really close to you, someone you care about dies. You can't Mm -hmm. change that. You can't wish that away. It's not going to go away. You have to allow yourself time to grieve and come to accept the fact that you're going to have to live without that person. And it's going to be painful, but after time, you're going to learn how to deal with that pain more and more. 
to where it's not as biting as it once was. Uh -huh. It'll always still be there. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter how long it's been. You think of someone that you cared about and lost, you're still, you know, tears are still going to come to your eyes. You're still going to feel that pain. It's just, you're going to learn how to accept it and move on a, a, a lot easier. And I think some people just do have to, um, I don't think I don't think denying or I don't think uh, like the whole new age thing of everything's great. Just be happy. Yeah, just the power of positive thinking. Yeah, I mean, there is a point. There is a point. I mean, like I said, like I was saying just a little while ago, having a more positive attitude and a positive outlook can definitely improve your day. But there are some days where you just can't have a positive outlook. Okay, something happens and you're pissed off or whatever. It happens to all of us. You just, there's just no getting around it. And not even smiling is going to fix that. You know, you just have to accept it and say, okay, you know what? It's, it, it's going to be fine. It, is it, did anyone die? And is it the end uh -huh. of the world? Those are the two questions you have to ask yourself. If nobody died and it wasn't the end of the world. Then you're going to make it through just fine. Um, if, if it's the end of the world, we're all dying. It's not going to matter. Right. <laughs> Somebody died. You're going to have to just, uh, accept the grief one day at a time and work through it. Yeah. Um, as a, as a, you know, I know that sounds a bit cold and callous, but I think I think in a lot of ways, demonolatry is a very pragmatic approach to both the spiritual and the magical. Um, or at least the the tradition that I was brought up with is. It's very much a you know. Don't worry about what your neighbor is doing. What other people are doing is none of your damn business. You right. need to concentrate on you and what you're doing and how what you do affects other people. So, so it's not like just a selfish thing. You know what I'm saying? Um, but you have to work on yourself and you need to be, you need to take a balanced approach to that. You need to not just work on the spiritual or not just meditate and philosophize. There's a lot of uh, magicians out there, armchair magicians. I'm sure, you know, you've heard this term before. Yes. Where they just sit and they, they read and they philosophize and they sit online all day and argue oh, man. about stuff. And it's like, okay, I don't have time for that. I've got my own great work to do, you know? Yeah. I, I don't get that part of it. You know, where, where these, I, I see a lot of that on Facebook where magicians argue with each other. Yeah, and, and it doesn't it doesn't even time. make sense to me because if if you're supposed to be creating your own magic that's going to work for you where's the argument it doesn't even make sense <laughs> right it's it is it's a pointless endeavor so it's kind of like you know don't don't argue with fools i just i just stay offline as much as possible i don't go into groups or anything like that but <laughs> That's the thing, though, is like you have to have a very pragmatic approach. You can't just kind of like go off into, I suppose you could. You could just go off into your own fantasy land where everything's great and, you know, and everything's wonderful and all your magic works all the time. And you have no discernment. So like every time you talk to a spirit, it's a good spirit and it always agrees with you. And, and there's, <laughs> there's that. And then there's, okay, is that my inner voice talking? Is that me trying to console myself and 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 tell myself that my feelings about this particular topic are a good thing or is it actually some sort of divine intelligence you know trying to help me out and figure this out 
So I think that's one thing that like new magicians, and I don't care what path they're in, really need to learn is discernment. There's, because there needs to be some sort of practical angle to magic, some sort of practical application. I mean, it's great to just want to read about it and kind of like, I don't know, fantasize about it right. and philosophize about it and all that. But it's another thing to actually apply the principles that you're learning to improve your own life and the life of the people around you um, by making yourself into the best version of yourself. And you're not going to be perfect. It's a work. Everybody's a work in progress until the day we're dead. We're going to learn until the day we're dead. There's, you just don't, I don't think there's ever a point you reach like, oh, I, I think I know everything now. Um, if anything, I don't know about you, but I feel like the older that I get, the less I know. Oh, most definitely. I feel <laughs> that way. <laughs> like, wow. Um, there's so much more out there and there's not enough time. And I probably only have 30 more years on the planet and we'll see if that's enough time to learn what I want to know. But then by then I'll have figured out 500 more things I want to know. And <laughs> that's, that's why I kind of just look at it now. Like whatever I don't figure out in this life, I'll do it in the next one or the one after that. <laughs> right. exactly. I'm not, I'm not going to sweat it too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Because, because there's, there's probably just too much to do in, in one little lifetime, which is probably like the blink of an eye compared to the time that the universe is going to exist. Right. That's probably true. Yeah. And the, even the thinking about that, you just sit there and, and that's, that's the hardest part is like realizing that you're just not even a speck. You're like a, a teeny tiny subatomic speck in this giant universe that could blink out of existence one day, boom. And your life is just like, it's just a fraction, a tiny fraction of a second mm -hmm. in yeah, the vast space of things. <laughs> yeah, it's not that important. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, and here I am worrying about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it really puts your problems and the world's problems and all of that into perspective. It does. It, it totally changes it. You know, like, like for me, sometimes it's just as simple as going outside at night and looking up at the sky. Right. And, and it just changes my perspective. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just on this little planet floating through space <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> and, and the things that we really think are important are just like really not, it, it, there's no sense in getting upset about it. I t you know, I tell my husband that all the time. I, I tell him, I, I'm like, you know, there's no point in getting upset about things you can't change. And yeah. I, think, I think there's a magical application to that. Absolutely. There's no point in trying to change things you can't change. You might as well just accept those for what they are. Don't get upset about them. Don't let, don't let yourself get worked up over those things. Just change the things you can. Start there. Start with the easy stuff. Mm -hmm. The stuff that you can do every day to make your world a little better, to give you more understanding, to give you more time with the people you care about. That's all you can do. Yeah. And I, and I find too, sometimes the things that I struggle with, it, it, as soon as I accept them and, mm -hmm. and, and stop fighting with them, it's like those problems, don't, they, they, just, they dissolve on their own. As soon yes. as I, I, I ex have that, an acceptance and then once I accept it it's no longer a problem 
Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. I mean, I mean, that's the easiest way to solve a problem in the world. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly. That's all you can do. I mean, especially in instances where it's, it's really not something you can change. It's kind of like, you know, everyone wants to argue about politics. It's like, you know what, just go vote. That's all you can do. You can't do anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, accept it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and in reality, like, like what things can I actually change? You know, I can, right. I, I could change my actions. I can mm -hmm. change my thoughts and I can change what I say. Yes. And you, you can cha change what you do. I mean, like, you know, if you're yeah. worried about the environment, don't, you know, don't use a bunch of plastic bottles. Right. It, recycle things when you can, um, you know, don't eat as much meat. There, there's a lot of things that, we can do as individuals to help change the world around us. And, you know, you might not see a lot of it. The hard part is, is people are used to instant gratification. They want to see like the change on a big scale, but it all starts with each individual. And you just kind of have to go from there. Yeah. And, and even then as an individual, once one person does it, it might become contagious. Mm -hmm. And another person does it. And then somebody sees that person doing it. So another person does it, you know, just like, that's kind of like how my podcast, my podcast grows. One person listens to it and tells somebody else about it. And they tell somebody else about it. And, right. Yeah, know, exactly. Before I know it, I got a thousand listeners. So, mm -hmm. and it's, it, all, it all happens organically. Yes. It just takes a little time. Yeah. It's, not, it's not instant. Like you said, like people want that instant reward. I, I think that, that, that again goes back to magic. People want those, those Hollywood expectations where, you know, you do a ritual and the demon like rises from your living room floor with, mm. you know, flames and horns and like the movie, the craft. Mm hmm. <laughs> yes. We do, we do have a lot to blame Hollywood for. Yeah. As far as that goes. <laughs> Those unrealistic expectations. That's another thing that I often talk about in my books is like people like really need to weigh their expectations and look for maybe more subtle expectations. You know, again, like instead of having, you know, opening up your door one day and finding $500 on your stoop, you know, maybe you get a phone call from a friend who says, hey, you know, so-and-so said we could go move you know, help her move her mattress for a hundred bucks each or something. And then, you know, it's kind of like stuff like that. Right. It's more like opportunities. And people don't. Yeah. I, I remember one time, this is when I was really young and, um, and I was living in a house and uh, I didn't have, it was like, it was really low points in my life where I didn't even have money for food or cigarettes. Back then I used to smoke <laughs> and, and, and I just got frustrated. I said, you know, whatever, I'm just going to go outside and mow my lawn. So, so I, I, you know, I go outside, I mow my lawn, and I mowed my neighbor's lawn, too, because it was like a duplex house. Mm -hmm. and, and as I was doing it, she came out and gave me, like, a hoagie and a pack of cigarettes. Like, oh, out of wow. nowhere. And I was like, that's amazing. You know? Right? Yeah. There the you universe go. just provided. <laughs> you know, and I didn't really do anything. Except yep. go out and, and do whatever the next thing that needed to be done was. Yeah. And you can never underestimate the power of just 
sometimes saying accepting something and doing something and and having having that kind of that kind of help and there are some like groups that will actually say you know like that's that is like you know the divine providing for you and I mean, I don't know. What, what are your beliefs on that? Do you think that there was some divine intervention there? Like, you know, the universe just. I, I, I think, um, I think it was two things. I mean, one, I did, I did do action, you know, I did get up off my ass, went outside and started doing something. Um, and I also think there was a lesson for me. I, I was supposed to learn a lesson, you know? Um, right. That, that as long as I do the next right thing or do whatever it is I'm supposed to do, I will be provided the things that I need to continue on to the next thing that I'm supposed to do. Right. So, so I guess it's a combination of both. Yeah. It, it is. It's interesting to think about things like that because I, I, think, I think most of us can look back at a time in our life where we were having some sort of difficulty and then something happened and it was almost like a divine intervention in a way, in a sense, but we also did something for it too. I mean, in that sense that we like, you know, got off our butts and, and we're actually working toward improving our situation. Yeah. And I think that, like, like you're a writer, so, so you understand, like even in writing, you know, first you think of the idea, then you sit down, and then you write it. And then, I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but then you go back, like, and re-edit it like 10 times. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, well, that word isn't right. No, no, it can't be that word. It has to be this one. Yeah. Yeah. You uh -huh. know? And, 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 and then that's the process, you know? It, it, it's, it's not just you know, putting the wish out there, you know, and expecting right. the result. And, um, you know, and that's like, like, and, and for me anyway, you know, like for example, this podcast, I had, uh, I was working at a, a store and they, they, they fired me because of the COVID-19 thing. Oh and, yeah. And, uh, I was like, all right, well, you know, whatever, you know, this is terrible. I don't know what I'm going to do for money and stuff like that. And, and I was, or, or I don't know what I was going to do with my time either. <laughs> so uh, like a couple of days later, I was taking a shower. He said, you know, I thought to myself, I really want to do something creative again. I'm not playing music. I'm not writing, you know, I don't really feel like doing either one of those. What am I going to do? An idea of starting this podcast came into my head. You know, now here I am like almost like 70 episodes later. You know, mm -hmm. doing fantastic at it, but but you know it was the idea, and then it was the work, right? And I think I think in a lot of ways, like creative people, like you know, the people who are creating content and you know, or creating crafts or or art or music, are are the true magicians, just by their very nature, because it's their nature to create. Yeah, and. So that's, that's kind of an interesting concept, too, that I, I like to think about. I mean, even people who, like, you know, create code or, or conceptualize ideas and then make them a reality, inventors, for example, or, right. you know, scientists even, who are, you know, creating cures for, for diseases or new treatments or whatever. 
even that is a creative act because it requires not only it's an act of creation because first of all you have to have the idea then you have to somehow conceptualize it and outline it and put it together and then turn it into something and then of course you know make it make it a tangible thing in some way mm -hmm. and so that's manifestation right so yeah. So yeah, that's, I mean, any type of creative process yeah, is it, a magical act. Yeah, it's, it's a, it is. It's an act of manifestation. Mm -hmm. and, and even like now, like, I mean, I've only been doing this like four or five months and people ask me, like, well, how, how did you do it? You know, and I was like, I just do it. You know, I, I just work my ass off at it. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I did like four episodes yesterday. I'm doing three episodes today and, and right. I just, and I, I create content. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. you know, without, a, without the content, I don't have a podcast. It's really, really simple. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, though. It's like you, you make a conscious choice every day. You made a choice to get up and say, okay, I'm going to these, you know, to these meetings and I'm interviewing these people today. And that's like, that's what you do. And a lot of people, like, they ask the same thing, like, or uh, I get a lot of writers coming to me, like, okay, so, like, how do I, how do I write a book? Where do I start? <laughs> and it's like, well, first you have to start with the idea, and then just kind of write down, like, an outline of what you, what you want to write about, and then you just start writing. But uh -huh. you have to make a conscious decision every single day. Like, I, you know, I actually have a career as a writer, which, I mean, I don't know, you, you write, you know how hard that can be. Yes. <laughs> very, very difficult. Um, but I make a choice every day to get up and come into my office and, you know, actually sit down at the keyboard and write something. And it's not always easy. There are some days I would just rather sit and, you know, sit in my, in my kitchen or the living room or something and just watch Netflix all day. <laughs> there are days I would just love to do that. But I know that right. if I, you know, if I actually want this as my career and I don't want to have to go back to, you know, a soul sucking day job, full time, then I'm going to, I'm going to get up and go do the thing that I really want. And I think that's hard for a lot of people. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, in, in a way magic disciplines you for that though, too. Like, or it has for me anyway, to follow through with things to actually like say, okay, so I, so this is the thing I want. This is what I'm going to do the magic for. But then I also know that I need to do steps one, two, three. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily a magical. It is a magical act because you're doing it, you know, to further your own great work. But at the same time, it's not, there's not incense and, and flowing robes and candlelight and, and circles on the ground and, no. and spirits <laughs> involved. <laughs> it's the actual tangible physical side of things that you yeah. have to do. Absolutely. Um, what do you think is the biggest hindrance, you know, to people not being able to accomplish what they want to accomplish, either through magic or, or through regular activity? I mean, I have my own theory, but I want to see if you say have the same one. You know, in a lot of cases, I think it's fear. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it is. It's, it's fear of of failure are afraid or, to try because they're afraid of failing right or some in some cases i i worry that they think that they're they're going to succeed and then what you know i mean right. for some people that's actually a, a big fear too which i mm -hmm. found very odd um 
but success can can bring on some anxiety too but for a lot of people there, there's a lot of uh low self-esteem maybe they grew up being told you know oh, you can't do that or oh that's stupid or um i have a friend who's a who's a really great musician and he was constantly criticized by friends who were jealous of him and his, and his talents and he could have actually been a really great success musically speaking um he i've listened to some of his stuff from back in the day and it was really good and i was surprised that people weren't encouraging him uh-huh. to go forward with it and he kind of gave up because everyone around him was just saying yeah no that nobody nobody wants to listen to that you know and it's like okay well maybe you don't want to listen to that but everyone else did and he was doing electronic music before it got like really big and mm. He really could have, he was, he was just a bit before his time, but that's all it took was enough people around him just not being supportive. And so he just feared it. He was like, yeah, they're probably right. I'll probably fail. And I don't want to even try it if I'm going to fail. Yeah. I, I, that's something I've never really considered. You know, like I've always related like to the internal fear of failure, mm-hmm. but I've never really considered, you know, the critics yeah. having an effect on it. And that, I think that holds a lot of people back. They do fear, um, they do fear being criticized or being made fun of or publicly humiliate what they would, what they would consider a humiliation, a public humiliation. Mm. And it's like, you know, it just kind of, when you're, when you're an artist of any type or a content creator of any type, that's just something you have to accept because not everybody's going to like what you're creating and it's going to piss some people off. Absolutely. In fact, if there's not people disliking what you do, then you're probably not really creating art. <laughs> right. And, and nobody's paying attention either. You know, if you, if you've got nothing but nothing but good reviews, then because I've met a lot of writers like that, they're like, Oh, I, you know, I have all these great reviews and everything, but nobody's reading my stuff. And it's like, once you once people actually start, start paying attention to what you're doing, you're going to get a bad review. Yeah, like I remember when I got my first bad review of my book. I was so happy. <laughs> right? It's like you finally made it. And made that's it. the success there. <laughs> is that one bad review. Yes, exactly. You know, I, I, I got the attention of that one asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing too. And it's also like, you know, you did your job well because you got that bad review because it, it sparked such an emotional, visceral, emotional reaction in them that they actually felt the need to like take the time to give you a, a negative review too. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's, that's how I look at it too. It's kind of, kind of funny, but yeah, I, but yeah, I, I think, think that's for, a, a fear ahead. thing. Oh, I was going to say get back, back to our topic. It, it, I definitely think it's fear. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, like with me too, is I had the fear and anxiety when I was younger, you know, mm-hmm. I was more concerned as I've gotten older and experienced life more, I don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> right? You know, I don't you expect, I, 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 don't, I don't have that perfect expects, expectation of myself. I know I'm going to get on this podcast. I know I'm going to mispronounce stuff. I know I'm going to forget certain questions. And I just don't care. Yeah. Well, and you know what the funny thing is, is like the people who are listening aren't even going to notice if you forgot a question. You know, because they don't know what your questions were going to be. Right. 
so yeah i mean i i agree with that i i agree i think i think the more more experienced you are in life the the less worried you are about that sort of thing you're just kind of like okay so yeah i mean if by the time you know you're in your mid 40s early 50s it's like you've been criticized you've forgotten things you've publicly misspoken you you know you've done all of those things you've had all those mistakes and you didn't die from them right and as my mom always said when i was growing up oh they can't kick you off the face of the earth <laughs> you know <laughs> what's going to happen what's the worst thing that could happen they can't kick you off the face of the earth that's what she used to say yeah it, 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 and you know and it, it is like like too for me um I don't even know why this is coming up for me, but like after my parents passed away, I kind of felt like, well, I've served my purpose and there's really nothing left for me to do. And, you know, and it wasn't really until I started the podcast that I really said, ah, oh, maybe there is more for me to do. Yeah, absolutely. Bringing information to people and broadening their horizons. Yeah. So, I mean, especially now, since I don't care what people think of me. Why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and I think sometimes like, like, like that's one of the reasons why I wanted you to be on the show because I think like, like for you to come out and write the, the books with the titles and stuff, it, it takes a certain amount of tenacity in not caring what pe other people think. Yes. And well, and it's been hard too. I mean, there have been times where I just thought, you know, some of these people are just so, so incensed by the fact that I've written these things because it's weird because in the culture you you end up with like these and I suppose this is go, this is anywhere on the internet it's an internet thing mm -hmm. you get these gangs of bullies that will rally around something they hate and they'll do everything they can to I don't know almost like almost like destroy you yeah and there was a point where I was like, do I even want to write for the public culture anymore? Do I just want to keep writing for the small groups that I originally started writing for and just stay with that for the rest of my career and let, you know, younger upcoming writers fill in the blanks. I don't need to do any of that anymore. And then I stopped, I came to my senses and I looked around, I was like, you know, you've had these critics all this time. You've done all that you've done despite them your book sales aren't waning because of them and look at all of the people that you've helped because it's a lot easier for us to focus in on that one group of haters than it is to focus on the individuals that maybe something we've done has helped especially as content creators yes and that's that can be kind of um so it can wear on you and it can be a bit frustrating, but I mean, ultimately my decision was, you know what, I'm gonna keep doing what I do because I'm here to help those people, those individuals that I wanted to help. I, I don't care about the big group of people that hates what I do. If they wanna spend all their time hating on me, that's kind of sad for them because they could be doing so much more with their lives. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, there's, there are people out there who are, who are searching for something that, that, you know, maybe they're, they looked into witchcraft and they looked into ceremonial magic and they're like, nah, I don't know if I, a lot of people come to demonolatry because it's a respectful approach. Whereas, you know, like the ceremonial magic is 
kind of like commanding. It's like, you know, you're, you're evoking these spirits, you're commanding mm-hmm. them to do your bidding or, or you threaten them in, in the name of God or with burning of their sigil or whatever you're doing. Whereas with demonolatry, it's basically a more respectful approach where you're like calling on them and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm a student and I want you to help me out here. Could you, could you help me out? Is, is that okay? I respect that, you know, you are this particular uh, divine intelligence and that you are a force of nature or whatever, or a force within myself. And is there a way we can collaborate so I can learn this thing or so I can learn how to do this thing for myself? So it's, it's a totally different approach. And I think that really resonates with people because a lot of times when people come to demonolatry and that they learn from my books, they come to me and say, your book was so desperately what I needed. I was like going through all of these different paradigms and like, you know, just regular traditional witchcraft seemed to like lack any spiritual element. Um, Wicca was a bit too fluffy for mm-hmm. me because it was all love and light. La, da, 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 da. And ceremonial magic seemed a bit, I don't know, rude and presumptuous and maybe even a bit um, uh, entitled. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and, and demonolatry, it was like, it fit just right. So, and I get a lot of that. So I think it's kind of like, in a lot of ways, I think demonolatry takes the best of a bunch of different traditions and brings them under, under one umbrella. Yeah. Right. And a lot of people say like, we're like Wicca with demons, but we're totally not Wicca with demons. (laughs) I mean, because that's just kind of, because that, that just assumes that we think like demons are all love and light and that we're like, Oh no, we would never, you know, curse anyone. I think cursing can be a very cathartic, um, positive experience and can help people heal after some sort of emotional trauma. They could release that energy. Yeah, exactly. Get it out. And even if you're not cursing like another person, because I really, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a, I, I don't want to say I'm a karma girl, but I kind of do believe that people get what they put out. So you know, if they're going to run around being jerks to everyone and they're, you know, making your life miserable, sometimes even cursing them, they make themselves miserable more than you could ever make them miserable. Oh yeah. Yeah. So they're like they're not even themselves. Worth it. Yeah. So they're like not even worth it, but like cursing, like the feeling or the situation. Yeah. Yeah. You see people and it's like, it's not even worth it. <laughs> Right. Their life is going to suck no matter what. Yeah, <laughs> they're going to be unhappy. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, that sucks to be them. But, but yeah, there's like, um, so, and, and also, you know, we, are, we do concentrate on, a lot of people are so focused on labels. They're like, are you right-hand path or are you left-hand path? You know, like the right-hand path being that you're, you're part of something greater than yourself. Right. The left-hand path being that you're an individual but, you know, those two things I don't think are mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. You, could, you could be part of the whole, but be your own individual part of that whole. Could you be like in the middle path? Yeah, I, I would say so. Kind of like, like... Like neutral, just... Right. I, I mean, it is. there's a left-hand path because there's that self-element. You're trying to better yourself. You're trying mm-hmm. to, to create your own reality and therefore kind of become your own god in that sense. But at the same time, you're still part of nature. You're still part of the whole. So I think as far as like, as far as like Wicca, like the only thing we probably have in common with Wicca is, is the fact that we do 
believe that all of the elements are the building blocks of life and that nature should be respected Uh in that sense. And that we do tend to have some of our, our rituals for certain demonic forces at equinoxes and solstices. That's like, that's like right there, the entire uh, commonality that we have with with Wicca. Hmm. Everything else is, you know, well, Wicca was created by that guy Gardner, right? Who kind of combined sort of like just nature elements to, to the Golden Dawn system and took away the um, the initiations. Right. Kind of. Well, and you also well, I, like in general, I'm not I'm like an expert on Wicca, but that's just kind of like what I read. Well, and here's the thing: it's like modern Wicca is nothing like older Wicca. When I was a teenager, I actually took. Um, Gardnerian pre-initiate training mm-hmm. and it was a totally different religion to what it is now like right now it's like really goddess centric and it's very much um feminist and, yeah. and i have nothing wrong with, i mean i'm there's nothing wrong with feminism i'm heck i'm a feminist but i mean it's like really like um it's really gynocentric to the point where it kind of starts excluding any male aspects altogether right there's a there is i guess it was mostly goddess worship right right and it's so so it's all goddesses and i think a lot of that happened because they were so worried about christianity accepting them and not attacking them that they turned it into like christianity christianity with the goddess at the helm at the helm but real wicca like pre i'd say pre-1997 was actually this very balanced male female um, nature type religion. Yes. And That's what I remember when I was a kid. Right. And so it's, it's totally changed into something. And before like old, old school Wicca, you were allowed to curse in self-defense. A lot of people like get that whole Wiccan read wrong. They, they only concentrate on like eight words in the whole thing when they, you know, and there's more of it, more to it than that. Like you can curse in self-defense. But they like eliminated all that, and then it somehow it's like, I don't know. People have gone into the whole, and I'm not not down on vegetarians. I think it's awesome if people can like, that you know, people want to eat whatever they want to eat. That's yeah. fine. It doesn't hurt me. Um, but it, it's kind of like incorporated like these different movements now. Whereas before, it was just, it was basically traditional witchcraft combined with some hermetic type ceremonial magic in its mm-hmm. own special way maybe and with some paganism in there and so i mean i think the original wicca is like a totally different thing than what we have now yeah it, it is definitely very different from what, <laughs> what it was when i was like like i like, like grew up with you know it's right you know i wouldn't even attempt at being a man mm. yeah it might be a little uncomfortable you might be like okay um yeah it's it was very very bizarre but you know i mean in that sense i mean it probably was a good thing for feminism i guess um giving giving women kind of their own place to go to like empower themselves which i you know i have no qualms against that at all yeah definitely Oh, the, the drum circles would be nice. Yeah, 
yeah, no, there are always like these great aspects of all these different traditions that I, and I think, you know, with your own personal spiritual path, because I think everybody's uh, spiritual path is so personal. You can draw anything you want into it. Cause like a lot of people will write to me and say, well, yeah, but you know, I really like this, this type of meditation, or I like to, I'd like to incorporate Tai Chi into my practice or something like that. And it's like, well, then do it, you know? Yeah. That's what, you know, helps you and makes you feel whole and gives you some sort of peace. Then right. go for it. I just interviewed a guy who wrote a book on, uh, um, I think it's, was the Chai the Tai Chi of Thoth. Oh. So so he, he he kind of mixed like Tai Chi and you know ceremonial magic into his own thing. Oh absolutely. That's that sounds really interesting. I should check that out. Yeah, yeah. He is really a a cool guy. And and I guess he um he also had like all these he was also into like psychic um sacred geometry. Mm. And, you know, and I've read books on it and I'm like, oh, this is so over my head, all this math, you know? Right. <laughs> and, and, and he was able to explain it to me in such a basic terms I could get it. I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's when you, that's when you know someone knows their topic really well. If they can like explain it to you in the fewest number of words, then in a way that you understand, then they know their topic very well. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's important, you know, to be able, because none of this means anything if you can't explain it to somebody else, because it's not going to help anybody else if they can't understand it. Right. Yeah, that's precisely it. You know, so that's what used to like. One thing like it used to drive me crazy when I was a kid, especially with magic, because some of the material was so heavy. You know, like like trying to read read the Golden Dawn mat, manual written by like Israel Regardi. I was like. Yes. what is this it's such dry reading and you're just like your eyes start glazing over and you have to shake yourself awake no wait wait what is, now what was that yeah you have to go back a couple paragraphs <laughs> you know it, it's just great that, that that modern practitioner has been able to make their own systems and, and, and make older systems understandable to, to younger people and lay yeah. people it, it, it's, it's important because they're there's so many valuable pieces of wisdom in practice. I think so too. And, and I think it's good that it's accessible, that we're in the information age. I mean, at, when I was a teenager, I would have killed for the internet. That yes. would have been so amazing. And I sometimes wonder, I, I feel like sometimes people in this modern age take it for granted because I'm just like, because, you know, they'll go, they'll go to people and ask questions that they could easily Google and get, like, some really great articles on the subject, you know, um, mm -hmm. including, like, scholarly articles with magic and everything. There's a lot of, um, a lot of the Thelemic groups put out some really great um, work. Yeah. And it, they, just, they just won't Google it. And it's kind of like they just rather ask and have someone tell them the answer because, I don't know, Googling might be... <laughs> you know, maybe they're looking for more perspective. I don't know. But I always just found that strange because I just sit there and think, I remember all of those days that I spent going to the library as, as a teenager and sifting through the very limited selection of books at the local library and, you know, 
freaking out and being so excited when I got, you know, when I was able to find the first copy of the Goetia, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the book of uh, Abermelon and, and so on, you know, just you find like these little nuggets here and there and you're like, oh, I get to I get to read this and you're so excited and now uh -huh. it's just like all that stuff's online. You just go <laughs> Google Key of Solomon and they all just pop up as PDFs and it's like, oh yeah, I, I used to camp out on the floor at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> sit there and read them. They didn't have like the cash to pay for them. <laughs> right? Yeah, we didn't even have a Barnes and Noble. We had like a B Dalton or something like that. Yeah, I remember. And those. I couldn't even go to that until I was like old enough to drive. So it was like sixteen <laughs> before I could go actually get a better selection of occult books that weren't in my local library. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, as sad as that was. Yeah. Well, it was an adventure, you know, and I don't know. Maybe the easy access is not as, I mean, I think it's positive for, for people, you know, that like us that are responsible now and older and more mature, you know, right. but, but maybe sometimes too, you know, well, yeah, because people will jump into stuff maybe they don't understand and get yeah. it over their head, like we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. so, so, so it's just uh, the universe's way of protecting people. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good, uh, a really interesting idea. Universe's <laughs> way of protecting people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the best idea I could think of. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So, um, so where can my listeners find you and find your books? Um, they can actually find information about demonolatry and a link to my personal website and my YouTube channel and all of my books on demonolatry.com. Awesome. Or wait, no, org. Dot org. Dot org. org. Sorry. Uh, it's D-E-M-O-N-O-L-A-T-R-Y dot org. Does somebody actually already buy up the .com? You know what? I used to have the .com, and then um, around 2000, 2001, we let it go for a year, and somebody else snatched it back up. What are they and doing with it? <laughs> we, they're not doing anything with it. Um, I think it was Radio Free Satan was on that site for a while. Huh. So, and I think that was an uh, atheistic group. But... Now they're just not doing anything with it. They're just hanging on to it. So, um, but we've had demonolatry.org since like 1997, 1998. Um, and it's, you know, more through a few incarnations. And now it's kind of like a blog and, and an informational resource for people with a bunch of free uh, books and PDFs and stuff on there that you can go through and read. Yeah, there's definitely a ton of cool stuff on there. I was on there this morning. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I'll also post a link uh, to that site in the notes of this episode. And I'll also put in a link to uh, your Amazon page too, so people can go to that. Oh, yes, absolutely. Great. Well, thanks for coming on. Thank this you. This was fun. Oh, I agree. I enjoyed it. Yeah, you were an awesome interview. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. 
Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.